0: Welcome to the Angel Investors Network podcast, the first national angel group founded online in 1997, dedicated to perpetuating free enterprise, capitalism, and supporting the American dream. In addition, Angel Investors Network is the organization behind the powerful Mastermind Investment Club, dedicated to harnessing the philosophy of a mastermind to increase success with their investment portfolio. Cliff Locks is a serial entrepreneur with three successful exits and an angel investor. On the podcast, Cliff brings together the most successful privately held companies in America to share with you how they grow their businesses and you can too. And now here's your host, Cliff Locks. I'd like to welcome David Hunter, the CEO of Star Rapid, to Angel Investors Network podcast. You have an extensive bio. Let me share a few highlights. David is originally from London, David has an outstanding knowledge and know-how of doing business in China, where he's resided since 2003. David has a proven track record of success in general management, and has held senior positions in sales, marketing, business development, and operation. David is dynamic and forward-thinking, striving always for continuous improvement in all aspects of business and business relationships. Outside of work, he enjoys spending time with his wife and four children, traveling and playing sports. As CEO of Star, he plans to evaluate the business by bringing additional customer focus with implementing Industry 4.0 and continuing to develop what is already a great team, ultimately leading to greater customer satisfaction Consistent world class performance and enabling STAR to achieve sustainable growth. At STAR Rabbit, you specialize in producing high quality plastic injection molded parts and mold tools with machining and finishing services to make tools from a variety of materials and can produce 50 to 100,000 plus. Finished parts in all major resins. My research confirms your team is highly focused on advanced material verification inspection and testing to ensure your clients' parts meet and exceed the highest expectations. I'm intrigued to learn more about your best in class programs you have in place. The first one being Star Rapids' unique service you call OMOM, which stands for One Man, One Mold. This service provides quick turnaround plastic injection tooling in half the time of conventional tools by streamlining the entire tooling project from conception to completion using a single master machinist who takes ownership of the project from start to finish. The second important program you have is design for manufacturing, as it is so important to design for manufacturing when developing a new product to avoid costs and delays down the line. Plus, your team is working on robotic exoskeletons and components for smart clothing, both very cutting-edge technology. How'd you get started, David?
1: Well, Cliff, firstly, thank you very much for the introduction. It goes back a long way as you captured in the bio. So, I got started, I was very fortunate. I started as a junior sales representative for Um, A plastics company in the UK, Um, they were really focused in terms of medical and personal care products. Very fortunate because I worked for some great people. And in fact, the the guy that employed me in the position, was the first time I'd ever been sat down with somebody who explained to me why they recruited me. And I was really then spending time in the factory. And they said, you know, David, we're going to put you into a sales role. But first of all, you're going to spend six months in the factory, understanding the processes, getting to know the team. Um, And once we're comfortable with the fact that you understand our processes, then we'll let you talk to customers. I feel really privileged to have kind of started that way and lots of time understanding the processes and understanding the organization. And that really helped me when I did start um, going out to see customers and look to develop the business.
0: I think that's really important. You know, when I see training programs where a team member is going to be a, a senior level executive, has time to go into the factory and spend time on the operational side, both with the engineering teams and the ops people. You find an individual that goes out into the world and is very, very comfortable and confident on being able to communicate, you know, what the factory's capabilities are. Training is uneven out there in the industry at this point. I'm glad you had a good experience getting to understand the nuances, the day-to-day operations.
1: Absolutely something that stuck with me. And I believe that a great induction program and a great training and skills development program is critical and even more critical today with the advent of intelligent manufacturing. You know, I was very fortunate to have that beginning, and it's something that's really stuck with me.
0: Very, very positive. And I've had both experiences, you know, where I've had the ability to go into the factory and spend some quality time with the engineering team and really understand the capabilities and what we really enjoy doing. We're good at it, and it's profitable for the company you know, versus, you know, just bringing in opportunities and then they may struggle through something. For me, best practices would be really understand what the team is really, really good at. is happy to do it, does it well, and does it profitably and bring that type of work into an organization. I think the two of us are aligned very, very well. How'd you get to this point in your career? So you've, you know, you've been through from London to China, you're very, very well-known in the plastics industry, you know, as one of the foremost experts.
1: That's a great question. And I thought long and hard really how your career developed. And I really found something where I, when I went into the sales environment, and especially a manufacturing environment for selling, I found something that I was good at, that I enjoyed. And I don't think I had an interview for maybe 15 years. I was headhunted a number of times. I got a very good reputation in the UK and Europe as somebody that delivers so i think execution was one of the key things and the other thing that i felt was really really important i look back more and more and since moving to china it becomes much more relevant you know building trust with customers building trust with your peers with your bosses and you know in a manufacturing environment being able to have a relationship with everybody in the organization a big focus in terms of um, execution and trust Um, But since then, since I took responsibility and moved into a general management role, it's really been about having a vision, identifying gaps and opportunities, and having a process in place that enables you to really close those gaps and exploit the opportunities. If it's okay with you, Cliff, I'd like to give you an example of really something that really changed the way that I viewed working and probably explains more how I got to this point in my career than anything else please. I think I was um, 30 years old and I was asked to run a plastics factory in the northwest of England. It was an organization that had been losing money and it was a private company. They asked me to go in and really get it ready for sale. You can imagine, you know, a guy from London moving to the northwest of England really was like moving to a different country at that stage. And we, we had to make some really tough decisions. We were met with some resistance and I had to work extremely hard, uh, communicate, communicate, not just to the employees, but also to their families, what we were looking to do, because I wanted to get the buy in across the organization. When the company was going through sale, and I, it was actually my last day, I was reversing my car from the car park, and a guy stood behind the car. He was one of the chief antagonists. And I, I thought, oh, here we go. This is going to be fun. And I got out of the car, and he just came up, shook my hand, and said, David, thank you. I didn't really understand what you were looking to do, but. Um, If it wasn't for what you did, I probably wouldn't have a job and I wouldn't be able to feed my family. And it had a really profound effect on me because up until that point, you know, in in your formative years, you're really looking to develop your own career. And that was really the turning point for me because I realized that it had an impact on many people, not just myself. And that was a very good experience and a very profound one for me. I'm
0: glad you're proud of that. I mean, those are opportunities that some folks don't get a chance to reflect on their lives and the impact of others. You know, a true leader, you know, they they have a vision, they can share the vision. They surround themselves with really, really bright individuals. They compliment people and when they get positive reinforcement, when they're doing things right. Reduce the negative that takes place inside certain organizations at this point. You get an organization that's just really aligned and it's, you know, it's actually fun to go to work. Absolutely. I think that's the magic in business and life. How do we bring others up with us? It creates a safety net below you also. It's about the team. You know, it's collaboration and Correct. thoughtfulness. We don't always see that at work with Quite a few companies that are, you know, sometimes they're struggling and you understand the dynamics in the organization start from the tops and gets pushed down at that. It's not hard to fix. Mm -hmm. It does take some time. And you need an individual that wants to, you know, usually at the top to really put a communication out there of passion and really cares about the team members at this point. And I'm not suggesting you need an open door policy consistently. I mean, you got to get your work done, but being able to communicate with solid communications, I think, allows people to buy into the messaging that you're bringing forth. And I'm really happy that you saved a company. And you know, I've had the privilege of building three companies with successful exits, each one of them. And it's always about the team. There's, there's no question to it. And I've been in union environments, non-union environments one of my last opportunities there, I must have had about 250 employees, and 2 million square feet. So you just get an idea of the dynamic, actually handling product returns. So, you know, that the wages are not very high to, you know, C-level executives. Folks on the floor, those are the folks that are doing the important work. Being on the floor is really important. to spend time one-on-one with the team member and the line leaders in the operation and the engineering team.
1: Absolutely. It's interesting some of the points you mentioned as we go through really trying to drive start to the next level, we've spent an awful lot of time looking at values. You know, I truly believe that you have to lead by example, really drive the message in through by actions, not just words. And things like collaboration, trust, reliability and agility, you know, they're absolutely the cornerstones and the foundations of where, where we can start rapid
0: in the future. The environment that we're in at this point in time, there's going to be a consolidation in the industry of those that have your values that you bring forth and thoughtfulness and being very consistent. Your word is good. Working together to produce a high quality product, they're going to flourish. There's just no question to it. On the edge, and getting by, you know, are probably going to go by the wayside at this point. So Correct. What are some of the factors responsible for your success?
1: I mentioned earlier the ability to identify gaps and implement solutions, Um you know, that, that's a really key one. You know, I've been involved in a number of business turnarounds. I think if you were to ask me the biggest factor, it's common sense. You know, there are so many things in industry today. People take the simple things and make them complex. And really, I think the answer to everything that we try, to, we should be trying to do, is take the complex and make them as simple as possible. So that's been key. But I think one of the the other things that's important. We kind of touched on on it earlier is people and alignment. The, the core of our values going forward is really customer delight. You know, We're here, we're creating products for our customers. We're enabling our customers' innovation. They're some of the key factors. It's really been about building great teams, identifying gaps, filling those gaps, and working with people. And coming back to the, the same thing, really, in terms of, you know, live in the values. But if I look at it from a pure manufacturing perspective, because I've been in manufacturing all of my life, I'd make it very simple. Process, people, systems and tools. Mm-hmm. And I go into some organizations and you know, they tell me what great tools they have, but they forget about the processes that you need to implement to drive that great tool. So whether it's an ERP or Salesforce or as we're moving forward into MES, it really is very much about the processes. You know, we've spent a lot of time, you know, in our lives thinking about whether it's lean manufacturing or Six Sigma, yeah. and what I've learned in China is that really simplify it. You know, if you talk to people about Six Sigma here, and it's probably the same. You know, it's been a long time since I've worked in the West, but it's probably the same in the West. Just the name Six Sigma scares people because it sounds really, really complex. But simplifying things, and I think you know those factors are, are key. So communication, communicating, understanding the gap, identifying how to fill those gaps. Whether it's gaps in the organisation, gaps in your product or service offering, and then making it as simple as possible for the people that work for you. And just as importantly, if not more so, making it as simple as possible for your customers to be able to bring their products to life, to do business with you on an ongoing basis. That comes down to common sense and understanding your customers and understanding people.
0: I think you bring up some very, very, very good positive points. The Six Sigma, a very strong, well-put-together program, have met multiple black belts in the community at this point. They bring forth of thoughtfulness and keeping it simple, like you suggested, is a wonderful concept because skill sets within our organizations, there's different skills, you know, or levels of skill at this point. So keeping it simple actually saves you money, time and the ability to put out a high quality product, especially in manufacturing, you want consistency of I also see the ability to document the work that needs to be done and using photographs. Let's use the McDonald's principle, which means there's photographs on how the product, how it's supposed to proceed through an organization. I've put some time in. So augmented reality would be something where we're wearing glasses, but the instruction manual, what needs to be done process is actually available on the glasses. We're in a pharmaceutical industry. You know, we're making a batch of pharmaceuticals. That individual usually is working in a binder. And the steps are sitting in there and they're sort of initialing after they do each one of the steps because what's sitting in their vat you know that they're actually creating at this point could be worth five to 15 million dollars. And if they miss a step or do something incorrectly, they may need to dump that. You know, literally, it dumps on the floor goes down a drain. In essence, to get class. so doing it correctly is really, really important. In the augmented reality, they only see one instruction at a time on the glasses, and they come up, and mm-hmm. it's actually digitally recording what they're doing in the batch. So they have documentation. They did what they're supposed to do on a timely basis. Somebody, if they need to go back with a review, has got everything that's recorded digitally, and a bit of you know, video-wise. The tools are out there, and it's forthcoming very, very quick. I'm excited. I mean, this just is a wonderful period of time of change. You know. The of us, you know, I've seen so much change in our lives and I think it's just going to accelerate at this point. You know, one of my sons is an engineer and I see how he brings forth the futuristic of gaming into Mm -hmm. processes in manufacturing. And now we're starting to see predictive analytics, quality assurance. I, I compliment you and your team. I mean, the idea that you're designing for manufacturing, there's a lot of people out there that create a design and they're not sure if it can get manufactured. It's not even on their radar. What are we doing? In other words, you're bringing forth this thought process very early on. that we can simplify a design. Does that particular piece of, you know, whatever we're designing, does it need to get repaired at some point in time? Design to repair, if need
1: be. Bring up some great points. I mean, we're looking at AR for things even as simple as training, as well as all the elements that you mentioned earlier. And in terms of the design for manufacture, you know, we're now looking at um, certain softwares that will enable us to have machine learning so that we can take all of the historical data that we have, input that data, to help improve, you know, eliminate defects and eliminate risk from the get-go, and we're excited about what technology is bringing to the table. And that's why, you know, one of the key things for us is moving forward with um, intelligent manufacturing, but also intelligent systems that enable us to streamline the whole process from design all the way through to, you know, if there is an issue somewhere down the line, we have full traceability. We have the people trained. We have the equipment in the right order. Things like sensors, IoT, mm-hmm. uh, the augmented reality that you mentioned. They're all things that absolutely provide benefits to us going
0: forward. When you're looking at the new lines of work you're going into, where you're adding intelligence to clothing, you know, and the Esco Mm -hmm. skeletons and you're adding strength, this is really, really cutting edge that your team is working on at this point. I mean, you're definitely an organization, a go-to organization to bring in early in the development process. So the customer base, which is part of this podcast, it'll grow for you. So I'm a big believer before you go out and produce a high volume of a product, Work with your vendors. They've seen so many different iterations of a variety of sub or parts. They can help you design out the failures because they have all this expertise and experience. And then you're looking at the augmented reality where you have predictive analytics sitting into your process. You know, how many ports do we have in the mold at this point? What temperatures we're doing? Now, I'm working on, I'm on a board of directors for a, a hydrogen company. And we're looking at graphene and injection molding composites. And we're looking at the cooling rates that are in play at this point. And we're looking at this thing and I'm saying, guys, just over-design it a little bit because we're going to change the formulation on how much graphene and composites are going to come together for the injection molding process. You can see it's not over-designed, it's actually thoughtful design because we know that if you don't have the material going into the tooling On a consistent basis, you may have air pockets or gaps and things of this nature. And we can, on the front end, engineer that out. And I think you guys are going to have the tools at this point where you can actually, you'll have the projections there to show what the flow does based on the characteristics on some of your testing, on the the resins that are going to be actually injected into those molds. So I'm excited. What is some of the best advice you've ever given?
1: Some of the best advice I've ever given, probably the advice that I've received throughout my life. Okay. Um, and there's probably two that stick out. If the first one, you know, I, I probably learned this too late because you know, as I was growing up, I was very much into sports and highly competitive. But understanding that privilege and responsibility come hand in hand, kind of an interesting conversation with a guy that I worked for who owned his own business. And he said, you know, look, David, you need to understand that privilege and responsibility come hand in hand. You have the privilege of having children. But believe me, that responsibility is going to be with you a lifetime. You know, you have the privilege of working, you know, in a high level. The responsibility isn't just for yourself. The responsibility is for the whole organization and their families and the stakeholders and your suppliers. And I I think that's a really important one. If we can capture people at the right stage in their career and explain to them, you know, privilege and responsibility go hand in hand, really stuck with me. But the other one was not really a piece of advice. I'm I'm a big reader of history and philosophy. Something that Socrates, the success to change is to focus all of your attention not on fighting the old, but on building the new. That's highly critical, whether you're developing a business, whether it's a startup, you know, whatever it may be. If your attention and focus is really on building the new and improving what you have, rather than wasting time kind of fighting the old way of doing things, you know, that's a tremendous way to keep your focus and keep your attention. Also to articulate the vision to customers and and the employees. That's one that you'll see in an awful lot of presentations that I give internally and externally.
0: Very, very positive message. You're a leader. At that point, you really understand the foundation of how to be a positive role model and mentor to a team you know and i think that's extremely important uh, as we grow the skill sets for the folks that report to us and give them the confidence to go out and be bold to be able to experiment and take risks in in a calculated way to grow and expand the capabilities of an organization and take on larger responsibility. I just think it's a wonderful way for you to communicate to the team at that point. And I agree with you, there's responsibility in being a leader. How do you take that years of expertise and you bring it to our younger team members at this point to give them the confidence to be able to go out? We need to find our replacements. You know? so we have to train people to take on those roles and responsibilities for continuity of an organization.
1: One of the big things, Cliff, I mean, coming back to what you were saying earlier, and I think this is hypercritical for people of my age group, you know, early and mid-50s, mm-hmm. is the technology change that we're seeing today is exponential probably to anything the world's ever seen before. And if I look at everything you said earlier about predictive analytics, IoT sensors, actuators, intelligent manufacturing, mm-hmm. I truly believe that you know, a general manager role or a VP of operations role ultimately is going to be handled by you know this 27, 28 year old super whiz kid surrounded by data analysts and data scientists. And yet, you know, I'm not scared by that. And I think it's absolutely exciting and something that we should be preparing for and looking forward to. And that's really where you have to focus and show people that change is good. We have to embrace it. You can't fight it. It's going to happen anyway.
0: That brings up something very interesting. Yesterday, President Trump was just promoting the concept of, workforce training. So companies taking the responsibility to continue to help with education with their team members from within, the training within, bringing outside resources in or creating resources internally or allowing people to have time to go to the university to bring back some additional training that they need. Because as you're suggesting, doing in our facilities at this point is going to change. It's going to provide more intelligence, more dashboards, more information. Keep it simple. But behind it, all the algorithms and the programs that are in place will provide a data set that's very rich and predictive at this point and show you trending and where the improvements. And then it'll be up to an individual look, analyze, collaborate with that data set and then implement those programs. You know, I'm assuming there's always going to be a human in there to help understand the data set and add more intelligence to it. But it'll take away a lot of the mundane. To me, math doesn't lie use the math as a tool, you know, be passionate about the math that's coming back out in the tool set, you know, and add color and a variety of ways to visualize it to be able to, to act on that data set. But well, it becomes more important in China. I've seen China
1: grow and change so much. You know, China is no longer a low-cost area for manufacturing. The standard of education has improved so much and people's aspirations have changed so much. You can't afford to have thousands of people on the line. You know, having that education within the factories so that we can move people that were operators into technicians, into engineers. And then they see that they don't just have a job, they actually have the opportunity to develop a career. And we see that as a real competitive advantage. With A lot of customers in the West I had my formative years in the West I truly believe if companies in the West aren't embracing this, there's going to be issues. But I believe it's equally the same in China today. And that's why, you know, we put this huge focus on people development, career development, giving people skills, bringing in the right people but investing in the right processes, systems, and technology to support it.
0: This is great. So what's going to happen is the standard of living is going to continue to come up inside the Chinese community. They're going to be able to buy the products that are being manufactured, you know, internally that's being exported. And it'll have a very, continue to have a vibrant internal market at this point. Just a mix between export. And actually using internally, progressing in such a short period of time, bringing in some of the things that came out of the West into China at this point, bringing people out from you know out in the outside in the community, say in farming and bringing them into our facilities and giving them the education and opportunities to lead and to grow as an individual and their families you know, have the capabilities of also improving in the next generation. So it's a global community. One of the colleges, actually my son graduated from Stony Brook University here in Long Island in New York. In the US, the Asian population has got to be 30%. So we have a lot of folks that are using whatever the visas are for education from China coming here mm-hmm. in a multitude of IT, engineering, and doing well. I think what will happen over time, you may find more collaboration between a US individual and somebody from Asia collaborating more. They may gently force that. You know, there's opportunities to learn Mandarin. I saw my son didn't take the initiative on that. So at some point, I guess they may have to add a little bit of motivation. It could be a mandatory requirement for those opportunities. And I think that will make the world to be peaceful. Let's say that we're all together at this point. So I think those educational exchanges are important. You know, I suggest to him, why don't you go do an internship in China? I think you'll learn a lot. You know, the schools have to take the initiative to continue to promote things that will help on a global level. I think we're going to have more leisure. So we've got to figure out what mm-hmm. work looks like. And I think industry is going to lead it. I don't think it's going to be the government. So I think it's going to be the law. Well, I agree. Work, because they're going to do it for their own selfish needs as a business. Which is gonna lend itself to be able to talk with, you know, a single voice like it may not be jobs for everybody, but we can create something that will allow people to use what they're best at in, in the community at this point. work is gonna change, you know, within our life.
1: You touched on something, Cliff, that we're very passionate about and uh, we see the benefits for our organization as well as for the people that are doing the programs, but we run an intern program here at Star Rapid. And we've had people from India, from the US, from Europe. It's amazing the number of people that come through and say, I want to stay in your organization. How can I stay in your organization? And we're finding roles for them, whether it's, you know, I called one guy back from India recently, who's going to help us with the pricing analysis and really setting up our systems so we get the algorithms into place. Guys in the US that have said, I'd love to come and work for you. We've given them in-region support because we believe that that human interaction is still hypercritical when it comes to product development and product innovation. We've got some guys that work in the sales field that were interns in China for us. And it's a great program for for the guys to have. is real providing benefits for us and for them.
0: You're a global organization. Look, at some point, is there any opportunity to open up a plant in the U.S. or back in the U.K.? I'm centrally located with manufacturing. For my years of experience working with Amazon and Walmart, we're also looking to source to try to reduce, in essence, our carbon footprint. So you may have multiple plants. Mm-hmm. You know, So it's an interesting, I'm assuming you're using 3D printing at this point internally. You know, it could be the prototyping. Absolutely. You know, I've had conversation with the pharma industry at this point. What happens when we have molecular materials be able to formulate what we're looking to put inside a pill? And we actually put that locally versus mass manufacturing. So we're actually compounding at a local level on the pharmaceutical and the raw ingredients, you know, are what we're actually 3D printing. It's kind of interesting. The technology exists. I mean, the FDA needs to be involved in the U.S. Let's go back to your fine business. You know, what's working to attract more business for you?
1: I think it comes back to what we were talking about earlier. If it really is about customer engagement, one of the things that we decided at Star was if we're going to be manufacturing in China, we must have in-region support. And we've really seen the benefit of having in-region support so that we have people in situ in the U.S., in Europe, also here in Asia, but predominantly in the U.S. and Europe, really positioning ourselves to become the new product innovation or new product introduction partner for our key customers. you know that's, that's a huge position for us to be in when we offer such a range of processes. So whether it's 3D printing, injection mold, or machining, a customer with the ability to talk to somebody local, you know, local time zone, same language, understand those customers' requirements, go through design for manufacture, go through the opportunity to improve process optimization. That's really providing some major benefits for us. And we see that as being more and more the route
0: that we're going to take. That leads me into my next question really well. What are some of the most common mistakes you see clients making?
1: That's an interesting question. I think the best way for me to answer it, Cliff, is as we've really engaged with companies which could be one-man bands, startup, through to some of the tier one companies, product life cycles are becoming so much shorter. Mm -hmm. The need to get product into market is becoming much, much faster. We've really been able to help customers improve their design. So I think a rush to get product to market, a rush to get things in, in place sooner rather than later. I understand various situations that companies will go through, but if we can help at that point, that really comes down to the level of our engineering service. We help to prevent customers making those mistakes. And as you said earlier, with all the algorithms that we have available to us, we have the data, we have the analysis to help them improve their processes. And that leads to you know, a much better process for everybody. Make it right first time, get it out in the market quicker, be able to innovate faster, better next time around as well. As those product life cycles become short, I think they're the mistakes that we've seen. We're seeing less as we do the job that we're supposed to.
0: So the collaboration is the magic to solve those problems at this point. So you're really educating the customer base best practices look like and the attributes you can bring forth to that relationship to help streamline what they're doing internally and expedite the design process, manufacturing and go into the market. You know, I see Amazon at some point in time, and I've had this conversation with Walmart also. We have the statistic data on product defects and product returns coming back. We don't need to stock everything. So if something is not a high quality product, meaning they haven't used your process on the design side, and it's creating challenges for the end user, the consumer at this point, maybe we shouldn't be stocking that line of products, even if it's popular. If it's going to have a high return, it's, you know, the life cycle on it is very, very short, less than what it was designed for. If got the buyer can make a decision it's not a product that we want any longer. It may force the manufacturers to seek your company and others similar to you to partner very early on their products to make sure they're putting out high-quality products that are sound, that will actually do the job and meet the customer's needs, plus the out-of-box experience. In other words, someone's taking something out of the box. What is that experience? The consumer reviews, you know, Alibaba. Same thing with Amazon and Walmart and others. They're using Consumer reviews at this point. I rely that on very, very heavily to see what others are saying at this point. Quality counts.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and it's a two-way thing. You know, as much as we're helping customers and giving them advice and how to make products better sooner, the early engagement is critical. But it also helps us because it gives us an insight into the products of the future, helps us with our investment, helps us with identifying the right people in the organization to put in front of those customers. So it becomes a virtuous set. And that that really is one of the most exciting things, that early engagement, being engaged with the customers, understanding the technology, and having that foresight and the insight into what the future is going to bring. It's kind of exponential growth at the moment. Well,
0: that leads me into my next question very well. How did you grow so fast?
1: By doing the things that we've said on this discussion clip. Gordon Styles, who started the company back in two thousand and five, did an amazing job. His reputation kind of goes before him, but he did an amazing job explaining the benefits of Star, making sure that people understood the Star difference. And we really engaged with customers. We engaged with whether it was a startup, um, you know, a one-man band, tier ones. So we were accessible. And I think that was one of the key things. You know, we've become very accessible. But it's like anything in life, you know, to do something once is easy. To make it repeatable, that takes some experience and it takes some some good skills. We've grown because we've become accessible. We've been successful once and we've repeated that with customers. So they keep coming back. We expect that to continue and enhance as we put the platforms in place and the foundations in place, so that we have a really scalable business over the next four to five years.
0: Well, that leads me back to, you know, how did you manage the growth? And you're really putting in the tool set to even manage increased growth. And that's one of your strategic, you know, strengths that you bring to the store. You've got the platform that you're building at this point. It's got a lot of IT in place. You've got some training that's taking place internally at this point. You've got a global footprint we are doing with interns. And they're turning around and they're also being in-country points of contact that are very knowledgeable because they've been on the floor at this point interacting with the team members and the engineers. You've got a lot of things that are just coming together really well. I mean, it's a recipe for success and continual success, which is great.
1: We believe so, Cliff. And, you know, this is engaging our own people as well is also critical and getting our own people excited about not just what's been achieved, but what can be achieved in the future. So we have very ambitious and fairly aggressive growth plans. You know, we're kind of looking at 50 to 60 percent year on year. And we expect to be able to achieve that with all of the work that's been done and all the work that continues but supported by really engaged people in our business and continued investment in intelligent manufacturing, whether it's AR, automation, robotics, real-time data, predictive analytics. So we're very excited that we've got the foundations in place to give us real scalability as we go forward.
0: David, I ask one question as interviewees on the podcast, looking back, what would you do differently?
1: Yeah, you know, I've thought about this a lot and I keep coming back to the same answer. I came to China permanently in 2003 and that was probably 10 or 15 years too late. I would love to have been in China as they were going through the start of their kind of evolution or their industrial revolution if you like. You know, I've seen huge changes. It's an exciting place to be. It's developed, and it continues to develop. Yeah, I think I would have liked to have come to China 10 or 15 years sooner than I did.
0: Excellent. And I hear that from others too, by the way.
1: China has changed rapidly. It's gone away from being copy and copy. Where they are, they really do have their own product development programs. And it's it's interesting to see how they're expanding it into other areas, including things like bioscience and what have you. So I think we're kind of at the tip of the iceberg. The only way to truly understand, it's like anywhere in the world, is understanding the culture and understanding the people, is by being part of it and not doing it from a distance. I'm still excited by China. I think global trade is changing, as we know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's also huge, huge opportunities for you know, global trade to expand internally, as well as externally. And I yeah. think that's what's going to be interesting over the next few years. Uh, hopefully
0: things will go very peacefully. And you know, of course, there's tension in the markets. And I think time will share with us, you know, the positive resolution of things that are open at this point in time. And dialogue is very, very important. We'll see what the takes. Absolutely. David, please tell our listeners how they can contact you to continue a conversation.
1: I'm contactable very easily. You can reach me on my email address, which is david.hunter at starrapid.com. My LinkedIn profile, which is simply David Hunter. I'm available pretty much 24/7. You know China doesn't have time zones and time zones don't exist for people that work in China. So my phone number is 0086 139 2332 5319. And I would be happy to make contact with people and answer any questions I may have.
0: Thank you for listening. You've reached the end of another episode of Angel Investors Network podcast. Please feel free to contact me, Cliff Locks, on LinkedIn and at angelinvestorsnetwork.com. We've been serving the needs of high net worth investors and entrepreneurs since 1997. This show has been produced by Market Domination LLC.